six, we be in the mix with that rare candy paint job on the whip. I need food for the kids, money for the rent. Fuck a lockdown, baby, I can't do that shit. And I don't never vote, cause I'm fucking broke. And either way, I know the police ain't gon' leave me alone. On a plane, by the visit, land rock me. Crypto told me I should bring the Glock with me. So I packed up my piece and I'm sliding. Cause we might get caught up in a riot. Middle finger Trump, middle finger Biden. Fuck a left, fuck a right, is you riding? Know you love to see it, dudes rocking. Ain't no politics, baby, we just talking. From the birds to the bricks, we be in the mix. With that rare candy paint job on the whip, who you with? All right, welcome back, everyone. Rare Candy. Uh, we have repeat guests that you all know and love, Serena Farb, and a new guest, new to us, uh, Pam Popper, uh, one of my shining lights during the COVID pandemic, and someone I followed uh, before then, an, an international expert on uh, medicine and food as medicine and lifestyle, and uh, just came out with a new book on COVID. Uh, what was the title of that again, Pam? Uh, COVID operation, what happened, why it happened, and what's next. That's right. I love that. Yeah. Unfortunately, Glenn couldn't be with us. He's actually recording another episode. Our podcast <laughs> production has expanded so much that we're having to divide and conquer. So, yeah, but I know he'd, uh, I can't, one time, one of these days we'll have you guys meet and I can't wait for that to happen. So how are you guys doing? Good. Right. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Great. Now, Pam, I listened to so many of your videos early throughout the pandemic. And I think Serena was the one that told me I had followed you, you would always show up on my algorithm, you know, for being on the shows I listen to for plant based kind of stuff. And, uh, and then I realized you were so awesome on COVID through Serena and very early on it, too, I might add. And, uh, and then I think, you know, I, I was listening to them every day. And then I think the YouTube algorithm kind of stopped recommending me your show which is another thing we could talk about i think that happens a lot mm -hmm. um so i haven't uh been keeping up to uh up on you in the last like four months or so so what's been going on since then with you you know because we we're all in this kind of you know covid's still going on they're still trying to make it a thing or whatever but it's kind mm -hmm. of like this post-mortem thing and thing you know so how's it been oh it's not post-mortem we're nowhere near yeah nowhere yeah, near the, yeah the, they'd like us to believe that but we're nowhere near yeah so it's okay talk about that all right so you're, you're right um i had to i got sanctioned a couple times spanked uh for youtube so i yeah. i started just putting general health messages on youtube and then i send out um i call it the forbidden news chronicles on thursday uh, wednesday thursday and friday on different we email directly and they're posted on different platforms so Great. i'm out there every day newsletter on monday videos tuesday through thursday but i have to be or tuesday through friday but i have to be really careful on youtube mm -hmm. about what i say and the fact that the censorship is going on is concerning but we have a little break in the action on this elon musk bought twitter and that yeah. does not bode well for censorship and then truth social uh started and so yeah. the, the controlling this narrative is going to become a problem for them. It already is. And you can see them scrambling around and trying to get ahead of the stories that are coming out, that kind of thing. But um, basically what's been going on is that, um, uh, you know, if you go back, I, I put out the first video in March, on March 10th or 12th, something like that of 2020, said what this was, and it was going to be the end game uh, force vaccination and all that. Wish I'd been wrong about it, but I was, right? And uh, so we've been through this whole thing. And what they'd like for us to believe right now is that it's gradually going away. And the reason is because um, it's an election year. I mean, we just have to say it like it is. Uh -huh. And they know that these policies are wildly unpopular. 
and they're not going to get reelected with this all continuing. So they're hoping that we're not paying attention right now where they're, while they're gearing up for the next thing, right? Yeah. And the next thing that I've watched them experiment around, it's very interesting. So I put out a video about two months ago. Um, the, they'll, they'll throw out a trial balloon. So this one was, oh my gosh, we think we found another variant of HIV. And then they sent Prince Harry out because, you know, he's the, the expert on health, right? And he starts telling everybody you should get tested for HIV. Well, I looked into this thing and the variant they found came from some plasma samples that date back from a prospective study in 1992. All right. So it's not new. And I put that out. A couple of other people caught that as well. And apparently Prince Harry didn't scare everybody about HIV. So it just kind of, you know, <laughs> nothing happened. So the next thing is Bill Gates got on some shows and he's wearing his sweater with his coffee, waving his arms around wildly talking about smallpox. And even smallpox didn't, everybody went, yeah, okay, whatever, smallpox. Uh -huh. And so that didn't work, right? So now what they're doing and this actually started a while ago, the supply, food supply is going, is in danger. They're now going to try to starve people. And um, it's eerie. They're testing, uh, they're testing wild animals for COVID-19. They, the World Health Organization and the CDC have posted on their websites that um, perhaps people should have their pets tested. Right. And by the way, we are having a wild storm here. So if I lose you, it's it's not that I lost interest in this, but okay. I'm just no problem. You know, okay. yeah. yeah. So so they're they're saying maybe your pets ought to be tested. Veterinarians should test pets, and you should test wildlife and livestock. They've killed 24 million chickens and turkeys. All right. Wow. Now I, we're vegan, but mm -hmm. but the point is that we respect Americans' right to choose what they're going to eat. And so starving yeah. people out by killing chickens, not to mention the fact that they're decimating farmers and their livelihoods. Um, yeah. They have, uh, the feds have instructed the uh, railroads not to deliver fertilizers. So the crop yields are going to be smaller. Food prices are going up. I mean, everybody's noticed that I go to the grocery store and spend $80 on $40 worth of food and bring it home and think if I had six kids, I think I'd be very concerned about this, right? Mm -hmm. So that's going on. And um, uh, the, the, I think they're going to try and turn this bird flu. All the signs are out there. The World Health Organization and the CDC say that this is transmissible to humans. They're still hoping a lot of people still believe that, um, that the, a bat flu from southern China to the wet market and intersected a human somewhere and, and there was uh, SARS-CoV-2, right? So they're, they're piggybacking on that. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. Um, Neil Ferguson at one point in time years ago when uh, this bird flu thing circulated, so there were gonna be 200 million people die and there were none. Uh, uh -huh. So he's a great resource, you know, the Imperial Palace. <laughs> so I'm sure they'll call on him. They'll dust him off and say, forget about the fact that the guy's never made a, a, a real, uh, a, a, a uh, a, 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 a realistic is not the word I'm looking for. Accurate, accurate yeah. prediction. And all of his time, we're just going to dust him off and put him out there and let him scare the heck out of everybody. So that's what's been going on. Good yeah. times, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> he's the model, the modeling expert that did yeah. the COVID thing too, right? And Serena, oh you were early on that. And as he's well. wrong about yep. everything. I mean, one of the, yeah. the last prediction he made, I think it was the bird flu, when he was 439,000 times off. <laughs> what it ended up being. <laughs> And so the scarf yeah. lady, remember Burks, the scarf lady and Fauci, they all loved him. They must not have checked out his background before they started quoting him. But he he was uh, he was and, and then he got caught violating the. the That's what I loved. <laughs> what is this, Serena? Yeah. What? what Where he was like one of the front runners calling for the most severe and strictest lockdowns. And then 
was caught violating them himself after <laughs> advocating for them. Like he had somebody over to his apartment. Classic. And he might have, and don't quote me on this, but he may, it was him or somebody else that was actually cheating too. So it wasn't just, it was him. okay. It was so him. yeah, yeah, was cheating on his right. wife. yeah. yeah. So it was, it was like, like, yeah, well, just really, <laughs> yeah. 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 listen to this well, guy. And that's yeah. like Boris Johnson who needs yeah. a new hairdo and, and he <laughs> needs a new job. All right. Yeah. Boris Johnson got caught having all those parties at, mm-hmm. uh, at the prime minister's house. Yeah. And then when he got caught, he, he said that the birthday party that they had for him there, no masks and wine and cake. He didn't realize it was a party. That was his problem. Yeah. yeah there's, I there's believe that. that. Yeah. When you saw the cake and like the alcohol, you, and, and it was on your birthday, you didn't put it together that this yeah. was a party. So you thought it just was sort okay. of happened. I mean, <laughs> just kind of came together. The craziest thing is the, the people that rapidly defend these guys, like the Gavin Newsom's and the Boris Johnson's during when they're cl- when they're clearly stoking fear and then not caring in their personal lives like that's any rational person even any half rational person could see that and be like oh yep this is bullshit you know but they don't do it you know it's just so the defense of these people is crazy we're we're down to i think probably i said from the beginning that most americans never bought this crap They, Mm. they gave the illusion that that it was the majority of people who bought in yeah. Um, and they're still doing that to a certain extent. They exaggerate compliance. I, I can prove you know, with evidence that less than half of the population of the United States got vaccinated. And they claim it's like 80 percent. Absolutely. So, so they wow. make they give the illusion that everybody's on board. But what we have left now is I say I would say there's probably like 20, 25 percent of the population that there is no reaching them. I mean, they're, they're yeah. so invested in this yeah. that you just can't you can't talk to them. They're not going to change their mind. Uh-huh. It might be higher in certain, like I'm in Portland and I've been oh, taking, <laughs> and I've been, I've been taking the bus in public transit. And it's so funny because the mask mandate quote unquote ended. And I would say, and I do, you know, I have to take like a transfer to get to where I'm going. Right. And so the multiple drivers I see every day. And I, I would say about 80, 90% of the drivers are maskless. Mm-hmm. I'm maskless and 95 to 100 percent of the riders are mm-hmm. in 95 all the way it's the most bizarre thing and they're all kind of looking at me not disgusted but kind of just cur- almost curious you know like mm-hmm. oh my god there's someone that's not doing it you know and it's the weirdest thing yeah so i definitely that's think there's yeah wild. It's, it's crazy it's- i know I, I i still have no idea i knew Portland was crazy, but I still had no idea it was it was like this. So. It's wild yeah. how different things are depending on the city and state that you're mm-hmm. in. Yeah, like I'm in Kansas, and uh-huh. that is not the way things yeah. are. <laughs> and Serena, you you and your friend came and visited us, and mm-hmm. I remember you're for the first couple hours, your jaw kind of hit the floor. You're like, "Wait, what's going?" On? Yeah, and that was really interesting. Yeah. That was like the it's- first time we went. We tried to go to a gym, maybe a Planet Fitness or something. Uh-huh. And that was the first time, probably June of last year, that I saw a sign or anything saying that they, you know, were requiring vaccines to enter. Yeah. I literally, before that time, I had not seen, I mean, and now there is some of that here too still, but Uh that I just remember, yeah, being totally shocked. Like, this is really happening. Like, this is a thing. Yeah. (laughs) I think one of the hit, one of the more hit vegan restaurants actually is it requires a vaccine to enter now, which is crazy. It's not as common as you'd think out here in Portland, actually, you know, people think it's crazy. I think it's worse in Seattle and in, in San Francisco and places like that. Portland, for some reason, is a little different. Um, on the mask thing, I wanted to 
so Pam, you were you were early on the masks, making videos about that. Serena, you were as well. I'm probably the latest out of everyone here, by maybe a month or a couple of weeks or a month. I was still in there, but not as early as you guys. Now I wanted to, and again, I don't want to make this personal. And I was actually listening, you know, Pam, you were talking about how, you know, you try and remain very like above board, but also you won't be afraid to call someone out as you see it. And mm -hmm. I respect that. I, that's exactly what I like to do as well. And did you ever see the, the Mike, the vegan response video to your stance on masks? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? And if not, that's okay. But I, no, I'll has... just say real briefly that, that I think I've been very, I'll just back up and say, I'm disappointed is not the right term for what <laughs> has happened in this community. And um, thank you. Yeah, the like... level of discrediting of themselves that they've mm -hmm. done, I don't think they really realize. Um, I mean, yeah. it, it takes your breath away. And, and you know, when you're um, when you're in an echo chamber, I talk about this in politics a lot. Mm -hmm. and what happens is people get in an echo chamber where they're surrounded by people who agree with them all the time. You're great. I know you're great. You tell me I'm great. We're mm -hmm. all great. Everything's great. But out there, it's like not great. All yeah. right. But but as long as we don't go out there and listen to anybody or interact with anybody, we keep saying everything's great. So um, I've, I've probably received a, a few thousand emails from people who are highly disappointed in the plant-based community. And what's happened yeah. now is that there have been some va vaccine injured plant-based oh, yeah. uh, people. One person who uh, lost his restaurant due to the lockdowns in New York was a bet was an icon and then um, had, had to get a job as a chef, which required a vaccine. And now he has uh, myocarditis and uh, was in the emergency huh. room. And so this caused a number of people. Now, this is, a, this is something that you can't ignore. And the guy's talking about it and other people are talking about it. And so as, this, as more of the injuries and everything come out and, and you know, they're enthusiastic promoters of masks and vaccines and all this kind of stuff, the collateral damage is going to be horrific. I mean, they're going to be mm -hmm. with the Fauci's of the world. I don't yeah. think that's the group you want to have yourself aligned with, but that's who they align themselves with, right? So Mike the Vegan came out with this video. It's been a long time ago, and um, people wanted me to debate him. My audience is a thousand at least times bigger than his, so he would benefit a lot. I mean, mm -hmm. and, and the other thing too, and I don't want to, I'm just trying to find the right way to say this. The problem being a smart person, and I am a smart person, uh -huh. is that you can beat the crap out of a stupid person. I know how to do that. Yeah. And I don't mind doing it in the courtroom when I get a chance or in front of a legislative committee or uh, something like that. But I don't really want to do that to somebody. Uh, uh -huh. I don't. I don't think it's good for anything. So I just basically stayed silent about it and it went away. It went yeah. away. I didn't go away that went away and i don't notice that mikey is putting out any other videos about anything i've had to say uh -huh. and the masks still um, don't work <laughs> yeah, yeah, so i don't know if he's i don't know if he's come around or what but, but um <laughs> there's there's just nobody wins with that kind of debate because even i yeah. win it but you lose it i mean it's just not a good thing to do yeah i agree i i have a couple things to say about that and that that's something that's always especially lately but always has little bit scared me of the vegan community and now a lot where we know there's tons of evidence to support a plant-based diet and a lot of people hide behind it's possible to hide behind good evidence and still be ideologically extremely biased to where you you think you're being evidence-based but really you're just part of a club you know yeah 
Well, I'd like to say something about that. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, please, please. Um, when the it, when the vegan community did this, I was disappointed, but not surprised. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you why. You just said something very important, and it had to do with um, ideology and and what had happened. And I and I did talk about this, and there was some. Uh, very public um, uh, little skirmishes at particularly yeah. a conference that's held in New York every year with some of the vegan community about ideology versus science. All right. And what I watched is every year it all got a little more extreme. <laughs> so when I started 27 years ago, people were talking about a plant-based diet. Colin Campbell was kind of the leader of the tribe. And, he, and he's always eaten a vegan diet. His wife did, and his kids grew up on a vegan diet. And his grandchildren are all vegan. But he, if asked, he always said, there's no evidence saying you have to be vegan, but certainly rooms full of it for plant-based, right? Yeah. And so he's always the voice of reason, and people kind of followed him. And then you, what I saw is about 10 years ago, it started degenerating. You have to be vegan, and you have to have 12 vegetables for lunch. Mm -hmm. And you got to take DHA and A and EPA <laughs> and you got to do intermittent fasting. Yeah. And then you got to give up coffee. And if you have anything with white sugar in it, you're a derelict and you must not care about your health. Yeah. And then you can't have smoothies because that's terrible for you. And, and so the, the list of rules kept growing. And um, I was at a conference in New York when somebody in the audience asked the $64,000 question, how do you get people to do this? And I said, well, one of the things we have to do is we have to stop making it so darn hard. Hmm. I mean, can you imagine turning on the radio in the morning when you're on your way to work and a bank is advertising a new bank opened a branch and we want you to come and open an account with us. Now, I want to warn you in advance. It's really difficult. You're going to have to take <laughs> you want to open a checking account. You're going to have to spend the morning here. So just plan to take the day off work, right? <laughs> and, and bring six pieces of ID. And if you don't have a million dollars, you can't. I mean, in yeah. any consumer business, and this is a consumer business, teaching people how to take care of themselves, right? Mm. You, you have to be, pay attention to the market. And so as this craziness went forward, you got to eat two pounds of vegetables for breakfast and on and on and on. I said, listen, we're not going to get anywhere this way. We have a public relations problem. We have a marketing problem. Well, then they jumped all over me. But all you care about is money. Well, yeah. first of all, I have a building full of people who make their living doing this. Thank you very much. We've been successful enough at it. So we do have to think about money. But money is how you measure how your message is getting across. Now, I came from a consumer products business before I was in the healthcare business. And I don't remember ever sitting around talking about how everybody is stupid. And if they were smart, they'd buy our product. And we're, by gosh, not going to change anything about <laughs> it. Because smart people will buy whatever we produce, by gosh, right? Yeah. This kind of behavior is, is just strange, right? It's not acceptable. So long story short, I, I could go on about it. I think you get the point. This was turning into a private club. It was turning into, and I've told people many times, my company is called Wellness Forum, not I want to be like Pam. All right. That's a, yeah. that's a different kind of business. And nobody wants to be like Pam, by the way. I'm a lunatic, right? <laughs> about the way I do things. So nobody wants to be like me. So That was great. Thank you. Yeah. And I find, I mean, because I am someone that loves to experiment within a certain realm with diet, with new things, with different protocols and all that. But you do lose your mind if you try and chase things and try and find holy grails. So what I found is healthy for me is to have a home base and then have experiment and then go mm -hmm. on and treat it with that playful energy of, hey, this may work, this may not, but I know what works for me. Then you don't get orthorexic and weird. Then you don't argue with your friends and your family, you know. Mm -hmm. And Serena, I wanted to tell, so 
you're someone that's literally been in the vegan community since birth, right? And, <laughs> and, we, <laughs> and we talk all the time about, you, you know, most of our conversations are about, you know, kind of the vegan community, not really, you know, kind of going astray, just like what you talked about, Pam. So what do you think about that? And especially during the COVID times for the last, uh, you know, are you asking me or yes, or? I'm asking okay. you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That wasn't, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, it's, uh, it's been very interesting to watch because the vegan community has been my home base in many ways. And I will, um, clarify too, that I have identified much more strongly with the vegan and animal rights side of things like health is very much a driving factor too but i'm clear that Mm. i do what i do for the ethics and environmental reasons and so in that way i use health arguments when you know sort of necessary because i think there are a lot of myths out there like oh you can't get protein you know all the usual ones Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. as like a vegan activist and educator i feel that it's important to to debunk those and to have responses to them, but I don't spend most of my time just promoting the health side of things. Personally, that's just not where I'm coming from. Um, mm-hmm. I care I care deeply about it personally, and if people ask me, I will talk and share. But I've I've had very much the same feeling of like. I, well, I just want people to go vegan and coming in with, you know, you have to do this and be oil free and this and this, and you Uh can't ever eat any, you know, um, that I, I've seen it be overwhelming to some people. And that, that feels sort of unattainable. Um, but yeah, so just to clarify, like I, I'm probably coming from a slightly different perspective, but in that, I also think it's important and, and I clarify when I'm talking to people about health that from a strictly health perspective too, I don't think the evidence even says that you have to be 100% vegan. Like I, I don't, I try not to sort of oversell what the health data does say. Yeah. And I make it clear, I'm biased. I'm coming at this from an ethics perspective. So yeah, I want you to be 100% vegan, mm-hmm. but then here's what the, the health data actually says. I think the data is very clear that the more plants you eat and the fewer animal products you eat, the better. And that's, that's what is really, really clear, whether you can, you know, get away with eating some animal products once a year or something and still be healthy. I don't think personally that the, the health evidence is there to say that, you know, yeah, that's That's what, you know, that's what Colin, Colin says as well. Basically, I got to say, I, man, it's, that guy, I mean, just have just gained so much more respect for him over the years that I already mm-hmm. had, you know. And I, just, I don't know what I sent you, Serena. I, I don't know if you saw it, Pam. I someone someone sent me a it was just an Instagram interview, a little clip. So I don't know who was interviewing him, but it was asking like, "Hey, Colin, T. Colin Campbell, for those listening, author of the China Study, did you get the COVID vaccine?" And he's like, "No, I didn't," you know. And he, he gave a very eloquent response. Uh, and compare that to, you know, everyone else is doing these vaccine social media posts, like the selfie with the needle in the arm, like, uh, broke my heart, you know, Caldwell Esselstyn and Michael Greger, Mike, the vegan, I'm sure there's many more, but I mean, it's just, you know, I don't want to, you know, we don't have to harp on this, although I'm bringing it up again, but just the fact that this is a brand new technology and people are just going for this right away and the whole you know part of being plant-based and or vegan or whatever is being skeptical of mainstream narratives 
it's just so shocking to me. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, what do you guys, do you guys have anything to say well, about that? Yeah. So then getting into like what happened with what I saw in the vegan community, um, I wasn't surprised that the more ethics side of the community, you know, went for this mm-hmm. because um, there has been a growing very, I'd call it pro-technology and in many ways, almost pro-corporate side of the vegan movement that they're, you know, they're pushing like lab grown meat. They're pushing like these Silicon Valley, like single reductionist. This is going to save animals. This is the, you know, at sort of not looking holistically at like, is this the food and agriculture system that we actually want? Is, does this support health? Does this support sustainability? Um, you know, and like all these other pieces to it. So that part didn't surprise me as much, but what really did surprise me was how many, especially like really longtime vegans who understood, or I thought understood the, the way that the dairy industry, for example, has biased federal nutrition guidelines and has, you know, sort of corrupted government recommendations and through lobbying and money and all of this. I thought that many of those people had a better understanding of how um, how powerful Big Pharma was as well and that they behave in yeah. the same way, that there's these revolving doors. And mm-hmm. if like Big Ag is doing this with the EPA and USDA, why do we think that the this isn't happening with the CDC and FDA? Yeah. So that, it, it really did surprise me <laughs> at first. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I kind of, I have my explanations for it now, but- yeah. Um, it, it did catch me off guard and I was very, I, and I still am sad to see like how it feels like things have just totally been split and gotten super polarized. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess I was lucky to, I, I started going vegan plant-based around maybe a decade ago, maybe a little longer. And I guess back then social media was as in its current form was a little bit newer and everyone doing it was very whole food focused. Uh, you know, pretty accepting. There wasn't so much beef online and very skeptical of everything that you just said, Serena. And Pam, you've been at it much longer. You, you know, you've, you've probably seen many waves of this. What do you think about this? Well, I, I agree with you, Serena, the, that um, this has all become very corporatized. They've, they've kind of gone to the, up to the wrong side. And, and I was, um, uh, I can't remember the woman's name, Stacy is her name, who U.S. Right to Know. I was on a yep. panel discussion with her. Learned, I, I had heard of her, never talked to her before, but we were on this two and a half hour panel discussion. It was great. I got to know a lot about her work. And um, we were talking about it, it, where, where it got interesting with some audience interaction is that um, there, we live in the United States and we have to win people over with our arguments in the United States, because I don't, I don't really think if people thought it through, like if you were gonna ask some of these very militant people about some of this stuff, like, do you, do you really wanna live in a country like Cuba? Do you really wanna live in a, in a country like the communist China, Chinese party? Mm-hmm. Do you wanna be in that kind of realm? And I don't think most of them, if they thought about it, would, would say that, but um, it's becoming increasing, increasingly um, like, well, we tried being nice about it and people won't give up meat. So we're just going to go out and kill all the chickens and then we'll, we'll make people eat lab meat. Yeah. Well, first of all, that does, it just, you cannot ever win an argument that way. You right. have to, you have to, and this, this goes back to um, some of the discussion we've been having about 
the difference between what you have to do to regain your health and then where you might go from there. All right. So mm -hmm. when I wrote my book, Food Over Medicine, um, I said, I, I wrote in the book about how many accidental vegans we had. All right. I mean, yeah. it's thousands. All right. So, so the person comes in and says, what do I have to do to be healthy? Well, the blue zones aren't vegan. So, so you ask me a question, I'm going to give mm -hmm. you the, the, the accurate answer to it. But a lot of people, my father's one of them, many, many of my friends, many of our members wake up one day and say, I haven't had any of this stuff for a long time. I don't think I care about it anymore. I'm not going to yeah. do it. But, but you lose them entirely if you lay down the gauntlet and say, this is the only way to do it. And you either do it in the extreme or you don't do it at all and, mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. So I think that the, the, where, where some of that behavior came from is the unwillingness to um, look at this as a marketing problem. How do we sell our ideas to more people? And um, instead, the tone deafness got worse. Uh, it, it's like we're we're just going to forget about selling our ideas to people. You're going to eat lab meat by God, all right? Because we're not going to, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And and you just cannot um, uh, do that. It it always backfires in the end, and you you end up going backwards instead of forwards. And and so I'm hoping that um, you know I think we'll have some great opportunities with people who are very skeptical of healthcare and more willing to listen to an alternative way of managing your health, where you're not just hanging yeah. out with doctors and taking drugs all the time, you're eating well and, and interested in healthcare. We're, we're seeing that our business is growing a lot right now because of it. And we'll, we'll try to corral those people and learn to and, and message this right. So we keep them instead of blowing them away. Yeah. So uh, I don't think it's all doom and gloom. I just think that a group of people, uh, and I've already seen this start with the vaccine injured chef in New York. It's like, oh my gosh, what is going on here? And uh, maybe we shouldn't have been so quick to jump on this. So those are some of my thoughts. Well, now it's fascist and right wing to, to care about your health and to, you know, the, the level of science has gotten so ridiculous that yeah. people are scared to even talk about, I don't know, like, you know, fasting or, or protocols or things. It's, it's, it's gotten so crazy. And maybe we could get into that a little bit because Pam, I know you lean more conservative and you recently said like, you don't care about hiding it anymore, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And which I think is cool. And you know, I don't, I'm not super political. I don't really know what I am. I know what I'm not, which is whatever the COVID, you know, those people <laughs> thing is, you know, that's, that's for sure. And now it's in, this is kind of what we were talking about, but you know, it's like, it's, you're like, you're either like a Bill Gates, you know, left-wing neoliberal vegan, or like a COVID truther, right-wing, people are going to call you fascist kind of type thing. You know, what, what do you guys think yeah. about that in this new age that we're living in? This, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what's going on. See, I, I'm a I'm a, a conservative. I was a I was a John Kennedy Democrat. I came from a mm -hmm. very liberal family. They all became Republicans, and the mm -hmm. Democrats are becoming Republicans right now. Yeah. And so when I started Make Americans Free Again in the summer of 2020, I would say it was probably 75% Republicans and 25% Democrats. It's 50-50 now. Wow. And so the enemy of my enemy is my friend. All mm -hmm. right. That's the first thing. The second thing is that, um, and it goes back to something you said earlier about the censorship, we've got to get to the place where we have discussion about things in this country. And um, for a long time, I belonged to a book club where we had, it was probably 
equal liberals and, and conservatives. We used to have very interesting discussions. I've worked mm -hmm. on legislation with Democrats and Republicans and, and had very interesting discussions with them. Nobody ever stormed out of the room and stomped their feet and said, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Yeah. So we have to be able to have differences of opinion and, um, uh, and work things out. So I think one of the things that's happened and uh, there are all kinds of unintended consequences that are just making our criminal rulers apoplectic right now. Mm. And one of them is that they're they're pushing groups of people who have thinking skills together. All right. So this would be an example. Some of what's going on in schools is so egregious that I don't know any thinking person that wants their child exposed to it. OK, yeah, I, I mean, and I'm sure you've seen the videos of parents reading to the school board and they're saying you're not allowed to bring pornography in here. And they say, well, this is my fourth graders textbook. OK, yeah. I'm serious. Yeah. And then the masking and the social distancing mm -hmm. and terrorizing children psychologically. Democrats don't like that. Republicans don't like that. All of a sudden we're all together now, mm -hmm. united against them. All right. So what, so what's, so we've had, if you go back to, and I wrote about this in my book, which came out in September of 2020, like what happens next? Well, I think what happens is that things that could never be fixed before can be fixed this way because mm -hmm. it's just all out in the open. Right. So, so we had half the country screaming at the other half of the country about two years ago. And now we've got three quarters of the country over here saying mm. this is what makes sense. You don't put a mask on a two-year-old. That's okay? interesting. That's, yeah. Let's, let's just all agree that's a bad idea. Um, the media, the media is crashing and burning. I've said mm -hmm. CNN's audience is so low I can afford to advertise on CNN <laughs> right now. Okay. It's crazy. And, yeah. And and see and they try, they canceled their live stream thing because <laughs> they could only they had they projected 10 million people and they only 10,000 people watched it. Yeah. So so what's happening is all the all the alternative media is sprung up and everybody's communicating there. So so I think that there's this movement of a mass of people. We're never going to get everybody in the country to agree on anything, whether we're talking about what diet to eat or political ideology or which candidate you like and all that kind of stuff. And I don't think that that should be our goal. Our goal should be to say, listen, reasonable people can meet on two sides of the middle and figure something out. And um, there are some great books out there, by the way, about um, former presidents. It used to be that former presidents from, from different parties became friends. Okay? Mm. Remember, the Bush family adopted Bill Clinton. Mm -hmm. and they called him the brother from another mother. <laughs> okay, and they were very good friends, right? Mm -hmm. And then that that took place all the time. One of the great political partnerships of all time was Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan. Yeah, you know, they'd scream and holler at each other, trying to figure something out, and have a cocktail, and and shake hands, and enjoy yeah. the rest of the evening. You know, so we got to go back to that. And if we could go back to that type of civil discourse, then we can put forth our ideas about health and diet. And we take responsibility for making this an attractive thing to start eating more plants. Invite yeah. you into this attractive place where we live instead of, by God, you do it this way with 10,000 rules or you're not in or you don't care about your health. You know, So yeah. I think that more reasonable discourse is going to happen. I'm excited about that. That's great. I have a, I think two things that come to mind. First of all, I just learned, I knew it was kind of this way, but I know it was this extreme where like the, the most watched show by Democrats is actually Tucker Carlson, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. to, you know, like that's, he's getting that many ears, you know? Really? Yeah. And, and it's, it's fascinating. Um, and there's, I won't get into this, but it's like a lot of his like media group and stuff are, you know, they get a lot of takes from Twitter and from, you know, they're kind of, you, you see that there's, you know, 
they'll post tweets and all this stuff. It's interesting just how they kind of farm takes and read the room and everything. And the other thing is, yeah, the whole Elon thing that's happening now. And he posted just the most, the most, you know, the most vanilla meme of, you know, the guy like the centrist or the moderate liberal or whatever standing on, on one side, maybe a decade or two ago. And then today he's considered like, or he or she is considered like far right, you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it's someone else away at the other end of the side screaming at him, you know, Mm -hmm. something that a lot of people have experienced and, and would nod along to that meme. And just, of course, anything Elon does just sets the internet aflame now. And it's just like, oh, my God. And the Washington Post wrote this whole, it was like this crazy, it had like 30 charts and graphs in it. It was like, why Elon, what Elon Musk's meme got wrong. That simple meme of like the political spectrum shifting. Mm-hmm. I found that so hilarious. Yeah, it was, mm-hmm. it was so bizarre. Yeah. But, but the response to it, you know, you, you, uh, mm-hmm. in my book, I wrote about the four things that had to be in place for this to happen. You had to have a medical system just gone off the rails. You have to have a government that's gone off the rails. Right. You have to have an education system turning out idiots. They're more interested in right. making sure that they have gender identity issues at the age of three than that they learn how to read. Yeah. And you have to have a media that's corrupt. And, and those are the four things that happen. As I'm 65 years old. I've been hearing about government reform my whole adult life. You've seen any reform? Not me. Okay. How about education reform? How about um, um, uh, healthcare reform? Nothing. Okay. So maybe what we have to do, what we had to do is just let it blow up. Mm-hmm. And then out of the ashes of that, you have, you have sensible people coming together and, um, and, and solving some of these problems. And, and I've seen it. I've seen in education, the parents have done a great job. They've withdrawn so many kids from school right now that aren't going back, that they're closing school buildings and laying off teachers. And I don't like to see anybody without a job. But the reality is, if you won't teach my kids to read and write, I will take care of it. Okay, Mm -hmm. I'm the parent. I will take care of it. And so now we're seeing education reform. It's a miserable way to go about it. It's very um, uncomfortable. But we're seeing it. We're seeing it with the media. It's going to it's self-destructing and it's going to be better. And the healthcare system is self-destructing, but it will out of the ashes of that will come something better. And again, we're going to get most of the country not agreeing on everything. I'm not looking for anybody to agree with me on everything. I'm I'm interested in conversation. I learn from talking to people. Uh And um, I remember I had a a very good Democrat friend in New York, a doctor who was my friend for years. He died a couple of years, three years ago, which was very sad, much older than me. But um, he was a great mentor to me when I was getting into the healthcare business. And and, uh, he used to tell me, he said, here's my list of political books on my side you ought to read. And I read them Mm -hmm. and I learned things. And it wasn't miserable reading something about that I didn't know and uh, I might not agree with. It was enlightening. All right. Yeah. So, so we got to get back to that place. We've got to have conversation. That's that's the only way this country can survive. Yeah, yeah. My father was a guy who was pretty, I'd say, pretty conservative. Definitely more conservative than me. And but he also instilled in in us kids. I have two older siblings where we would, you know, he would kind of make us debate stuff with him mm-hmm. and with each other. And even if it was simple, even if it was like the definition of a word, we'd bust out the dictionary, you know, at the mm-hmm. dinner table and. And I just, I really appreciate that, that, you know, it was just, it made, it inoculated me against being afraid of being wrong or disagreeing with someone, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's just, I just find so many people are just so scared to even be themselves, you know, and it's, especially in this day and age when any, any take can just go viral on the internet and everything. What do you guys think about the, the midterms coming up and beyond? And I know we, we kind of started the conversation with that about how COVID is, it's kind of going through this. And my co-host, Glenn, that's what he was saying, where 
he's like, COVID's coming back. They're bringing it back. You know, especially after the midterms. So what or do you guys? Bird flu. Or, or bird flu. Or bird flu. Yeah, or something. <laughs> it's like yeah, with the Gates something. thing. Whenever you see him with the sweat, like you said, with the sweater and the coffee, waving his arms on. T- it's like he's dropping a new album. Like he's Jay Z mm-hmm. or something. You know, like he's like he's you know got the new the smallpox thing is crazy to me. The fact that I mean, this is a guy who's you know vaccine programs globally have done great harm in India and other other places, and the the gall of him to quote-unquote predict a smallpox epidemic is ludicrous yeah so. is he not like losing support though with all yeah. of, i mean like more and more articles are finally coming out showing like a lot of the corruption and how mm-hmm. he's been giving you know philanthropic grants to companies that he's invested in and making money off of it and yeah. um, and then and then his connection to epstein like is he not losing some it's what well, you know what's funny about this is he's every normal person looks at Gates and is like, okay, that's a psycho sociopath. Mm-hmm. Don't want anything to do with them. And then, you know, across all political spectrums, you know, you know, conservatives, leftists, mainly the conservatives don't trust Gates, which is what I, what I really respect about that, you know? And, uh, but all the academia people, cause they get so much money from Gates, mm-hmm. every institution, every, every Ivy league school, all of them have, they all have to pretend that he's cool, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, he's clearly not cool. You know, he's, he's clearly a terrible you know, it has terrible policy. His foundation's horrendous. You know, so I, I find it funny that just this is, yeah, the the the, the faux intellectuals, the people that graduate and get the laptop jobs and get the the policy jobs and all that stuff, they kind of are hitched, hitched, they're hitched to his wagon. Well, they yeah. can afford to. Mm-hmm. What, what people, what, what I think a lot of people don't understand is that there there were um, many people, the laptop crowd, that they could afford to stay home. They didn't understand that, you know, six miles away is somebody, if they don't go to work, their kids don't get fed mm-hmm. and, and a million businesses got closed and they're not coming back. I mean, one of the things that we were, have been involved in, we're still involved in it at Make Americans Free Again is saving small businesses. Like we take, we adopt a business and bring it back. Like we, we just adopted this Chinese restaurant, not very far from our office. I have never eaten so many spring rolls in my life as I have, <laughs> but, and uh, well, that was a nice change because I was eating vegetable Momo and uh, yeah. vegetable biryani from an Indian restaurant for, until it was coming out my ears to have them back on their feet. So, so the yeah. bottom line is that, um, uh, you know, the small business was decimated and there are probably a million businesses precariously hanging on right now and we yeah. can't save them all. We save the ones we find out about. But um, so it's easy to be in your six figure job and it doesn't matter if you leave your house or go to work or whatever and say, this is all just fine. That's the Gates crumb. But they have absolutely no empathy. It's that tone deafness I keep coming back to completely tone deaf to what the rest of the world is going through and not feeling any need to have any that they're preaching compassion and, and um, equity and diversity and all this crap. And I'm thinking you, you, you don't practice any of that that you preach. You have no compassion for anybody who isn't just like you. And you're in an echo chamber. The echo chamber I talked about earlier, everybody's telling everybody how it all is because you are in your own echo chamber and not paying attention to what's going on out there. Uh, so it's uh, it's unfortunate. As far as the midterms, I think they're going to take a bath. Um, I don't think there's any amount of election fraud they can pull that's going to that's going to pull this out for them. And too many states have passed laws and there is too much going on in that. I don't know if you're going to watch 2000 Mules this weekend, but um, <laughs> they have videotape of this. I mean, this isn't this yeah. is no longer some kind of wild conspiracy theory. And I don't think that people realize how com- uh, this is the word I use for this right now, combustible. 
yeah. things are. Okay, it's a good term for it. And what I mean by that is um, there are uh, some states that are thinking about decertifying. Yeah. And when you think about the consequences of that, mm-hmm. it's severe. We'll end up in a civil war if that yeah. happens. And, and I don't know how it would end. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm not talking about people with guns on my deck. I'm just, but we're going to end up in some kind of wild, cataclysmic, uncertain period of uh, chaos if this actually does happen. It would change everything. Yeah. yeah. I do want to talk. I don't want to talk about the abortion thing and the news that happened. I don't want to get too much into that. But I do. There is a funny. I mean, if you guys want to, I don't. I don't. Uh, I'm not against it. Uh, but there is the funniest. Um, I mean, the internet's just going crazy right now with it. It's hilarious. Uh, the funniest link to COVID, though, because you guys have been following the, you know, the ivermectin saga and the together trial and the whole FDA tweeting, "Don't, you don't take horse medicine, y'all," kind of thing, you know, and the, all the all the psyop and fake stories about the horse based, right? Uh, what is it? I have it here. Motherboard, which is, I think, Vice's technology, Vice magazine, Vice media, their technology arm mm-hmm. has been going crazy with the news of Roe v. Wade today. Uh, let me read this tweet. I, I, this is a drug called misoprotol or misoprotol, M-I-S-O-P-R-O-S-T-O-L, prostol. Okay. Uh, Prostol is relatively easy to acquire from veterinary sources since addition to medically induced abortions. It's also used to treat ulcers in horses. So here they are. We had a media company lambasting anyone for taking quote unquote horse medication and is now recommending a horse med uh, off label use. I just thought that was funny. A lot of people were talking about that. I hadn't seen that. It's crazy. It's, It's pretty wild, you know, and whatever your take is on the whole issue. You know, this is just insane. You know, it's crazy that you're allowed to, you know, people are people are banned from Twitter and YouTube for talking about ivermectin, you know, which mm-hmm. is a Nobel Prize winning drug. Have you guys been following the together trial and the that you know mm-hmm. you pam at all? The- um, I haven't read it yet, but but the the bottom line is that I've I've gone through a lot of the vaccine information, the ivermectin trials, the hydroxychloroquine trials, and, and the, the problem is they're all being set up to the, the, the outcome is determined. Yeah. And then you back up and you figure out how to get to that outcome. They did it with the Pfizer vaccine. They did it with the Moderna vaccine. They did it with, with and then if, if all else fails, you, I don't know if you've seen the, the document dump about Remdesivir, Fauci mm-hmm. changed the endpoints. That's the only way he could. Yeah, so the, so the endpoint for the success of the drug is not dead. <laughs> if you're, <laughs> yeah, that was, <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, that's not exactly the way they put it, but that's basically it. If you're not dead, then this drug works. Okay, that's that was the basis. The people who took it yeah. weren't dead, and so, um, so everything is start with the desired uh, outcome and then work backwards. So if you want to show that the drug is a failure, make sure you pick people who don't qualify to take it. It's never designed to be used for that. Um, and then you have the Surgisphere thing that I don't know if you remember that that was in the Lancet. That was the hydro- the worldwide hydroxychloroquine trial yeah. uh, that, uh, or, or uh, data analysis mm-hmm. that, that um, turned out to be completely fake. Yeah. The, the company in Chicago had six employees and claimed to have gotten data from 100% of the hospitals treating COVID patients worldwide. 
Yeah. And they had six employees and the owner was a science fiction writer who did fantasy art on the side. Right on. <laughs> and, completely... and Fauci's on TV saying, finally, we have the data oh. set we need to prove it doesn't work. A Guardian, two got reporters from The Guardian figured it out in two hours. And that idiot Fauci talked about it for three days before somebody finally told him, you better shut up about this, Tony. This is really making you look like an ass, right? Yeah. Didn't seem to change the narrative, though. Once they got that out there, there's the big study that's discredited this even when the study was retracted it was like no one yeah. no one knew about the retraction or cared about that no nope. right, right and just the i mean this is at this point blindingly obvious but just the people that that lecture and scold you so hard over covid and deaths and death rates and everything don't seem to want solutions that work you know that's, that was always the weirdest thing they love it they crave this you know it's yeah. such, it's the most bizarre thing i'm not talking about the fauci's or whatever i'm talking just about the regular everyday people. people, you know, it's, it's pretty wild. Yeah. Now you, you start making videos in March, 2020, which is as early as you can get. How did, how are you on this so early? You know, we were a couple months later, Glenn and I on this. Yeah. 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 Well, my business is informed medical decision-making. And so I've been doing research and writing books and creating documentaries about this stuff for a long time. And I knew I'm an avid reader. And just, just so you know, I'm not, I, I, I'm a very short sleeper. I only need about four hours of sleep a night. So I have a lot of waking time. So I yeah. can read a couple hundred books a year and the whole nine years. So I'm a voracious reader. And I knew that there had been fake pandemics in the past and they'd been escalating. So in 1956, they had a fake pandemic. And then in 1976, they had a fake pandemic. That was the one with five <laughs> cases. And then they set up, CDC set up a war room I had doctors sitting at tables with phones 24-7, working in eight-hour shifts, waiting for the sixth case, right? And then they had the botched vaccine, they, which they had to withdraw from the market this, after 50 sorry, people this is, died. This is a swine flu, right? That you're yeah, 70, yeah. Okay, just clarify. Yeah, so, and then 2009, they had a worldwide fake pandemic that led to vaccines. So this was not surprising. I knew what it was. Mm -hmm. And I do business in China, so I knew what their interest in this whole thing was. Yeah. And um, I didn't know when I put out that video how deep and dark this thing was at the mm. time but soon that became apparent and that's when i when i started talking to my staff about are we going to do something about this or not so yeah interesting right yeah away. yeah the i have the the 2009 and the 1976 i know in the, the 76 thing is interesting of course because it had a um you know a, a a fake vaccine that injured a lot of people and killed people and 60 well, minutes. 674 people died, and they said it yeah. was the worst public health debacle ever. And of course, we've, we've killed tens of thousands with yeah. this thing, and they want to give it to six month olds. Mm -hmm. and, and 60 Minutes did a legit journalistic piece on that in 1976, which I find fascinating that you, that would never happen today, you know? Right. And in 2009, I know that was one of the big back. I mean, I was, I was never, I was always pretty hip to the vaccine thing, but. That was one of the things when I learned about the um, the the UK nurses, the nar the permanent narcolepsy that they received, mm -hmm. many of them after receiving that vaccine, and Fauci recommend strongly recommended that as well, and of course didn't know had no, you know, suffered no consequences for promoting a, a false vaccine or you know or wait yeah, I'm right. calling it a fake vaccine you know of course they're all you know you know how it is but yes. um, yeah so that was crazy and just the what is he is he have they shelved him. 
Fauci, like in the last couple of months, I haven't heard from him too much. No, you know, what's, what's I haven't shelved him. He, he came out, he's, he's trying to figure out what to do with himself. He said that mm. the pandemic was over and then three hours later said it wasn't, Never mind. Oh, and uh, they, they're, they're scrambling. I'm, I'm enjoying watching this. They're scrambling. They're very worried about us um, right now. Yeah. Uh, we'll go into why I know that, but they're very worried about people like us because we're starting to get really affected. We're beating them. We're winning. Yeah. And uh, their worst nightmare is that all this becomes public. And the way that you make it public is court order, right? Uh, through mm-hmm. through litigation. So, um, so I think they're trying to figure out what to do because they left themselves no alternative but the gallows. And um, right. and this goes back to things being so combustible. What do you do if you're part of an illegitimate regime and you've lied to the public and killed a bunch of people? Well, the smart thing is one day you just get on a plane, the whole group of them, and disappear. That's what illegitimate regimes often do. Well, that throws the country into chaos. I mean, as much as you might like all these people gone, I'm not sure that that's the best way for this to happen. But depending on if this, you know, you can start playing the game. Well, if this happens, then that would happen. And then this would lead to that. And then this happens. And and, and almost any way you play this out at this point in time, the end is not pretty for them, but it's impossible to make it awful for them and not have some backlash ourselves. I mean, the general public yeah. is, is suffers from the backlash of these people. Now, you know, the best analogy I can give is like when a dinosaur dies, it doesn't just stay in one place and sink into the ground. It mm-hmm. slashes, it, it, you know, the tail's flopping around, it knocks mm-hmm. down buildings and it marches over people on its way to death. There's huge destruction. That's the best way to tell you what I think is coming that feels like what's happening. And, and really, I mean, this cultural bubble that's about ready to pop has been, you know, it's been in forming for decades, but really since, at least in my lifetime, since 2014, 2015. And I think these people thought they could like, they could never fail and that it would always be this way and that they could just get away with endless amounts of lies. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think it's going to pop and it might be kind of horrific. And I know Serena has lots of good takes. I know you're into the, what is it? The fourth turning book. And you, you talk about Serena, how just basically this, all this stuff is kind of due and coming down the pipe. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I haven't read that book though. So I don't know. And I don't know what you guys think about that, but yeah. I'm interested in hearing what you think about it. Yes. So um, are you familiar with the book? No, I'm not. Okay. So it's called the fourth turning and it's like a political economic history I guess, Mm -hmm. um, that basically to summarize, it says that, you know, history is not linear, it's cyclical and it operates in these turnings. Um, and there's four of them. They're kind of like seasons Mm -hmm. and they, they make, they compare them to like the, the four seasons and they each have sort of different themes and all, and each turning is approximately like 20 years long so that all four turnings together make up the average human lifespan. So like the average human is living through all four of the seasons, basically. And that generational changes kind of drive the cycle. So like if this generation came up during a first turning, which had a certain mood, then they're going to behave a certain way when they get into the leadership positions and and it kind of drives this. Uh Um, And so the book was written in the late 90s. And it was actually that the title is like a prophecy. Uh, the fourth turning prophecy or something like that. And they basically said that we were in a third turning at the time, which is the equivalent of fall. The fourth turning, the last turning is the winter season. Mm. And it's kind of the darkest period of the cycle. (laughs) And 
um, that the end of a fourth turning always sort of culminates in a very large crisis of some kind. Mm -hmm. And then how that's crisis, how that crisis is resolved determines whether we go forward into another first turning or whether sort of that civilization or society as we know it crumbles. Mm -hmm. So like the previous fourth turning crises were the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, and World War II. Mm -hmm. So we're like getting right to that place of like, um, we have something. So the book basically written in the 90s suggested that something was coming um, in the next, you know, 20, 20 or 30 years. And I find it very, it's very well referenced and, and cited and everything. And they lay out like, here's the kinds of moods and events and things you might expect during a fourth turning mm -hmm. it is scarily <laughs> spot on and like that's yeah. it's just like um the the things they mention of how like how polarization increases how yeah. um there's a breakdown of certain societal just like a bunch of different and it's been a while since i've read it but I have gone back and looked at it multiple times. And I think I looked at it at the beginning of the pandemic. I was like, is this it? Is this our, our, you know, crisis that's going to turn into this culminating, you know, event. Um, yeah. So it's, it's very interesting. Um, I don't, I don't know. I, I, where I am right now is I keep hearing all of this and like talking about food production. Um, but I'm not going to lie that I'm still a little bit skeptical because I've been thinking that that type of thing was happening for a long time. Like I was, I thought that way at the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, things seemed so unsettled when they came down with the lockdowns and it was sort of unprecedented and all of that. I was surprised that we just marched through it and that didn't cause more like upheaval or disruption. Uh -huh. um, so part of me is like, are these predictions really like, how serious is this really? Or are things more stable than we realize? And we're going to be able to keep pushing through and things aren't, nothing big is coming. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I've been wondering the same. And I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm definitely not, I don't like to make predictions because I, I don't think I'm very good at that. But Pam, you had mentioned early, earlier about the food supply and that it's kind of this, this, they're kind of manufacturing this crisis. And of course, it's plant-based people. We know that all food supply issues are completely manufactured in some form that, you know, there's, there's no need for any food insecurity anywhere in the world. Um, have you guys been following, we talked about a little bit on a previous episode, Glenn and I, have you guys been following this whole, you know, planes flying into giant food production facilities, you oh, know, yeah. and it's what's going oh, it's on with deliberate. that? Yeah. It's yeah, okay. deliberate. Yeah, wax, they're, wax they're on that definitely. a little bit. Pan, Pan, yeah. I want to hear about your thoughts on this. Yeah. Well, there, there's there's no question. Farmers are being paid not to grow food. They're being paid mm -hmm. to burn their crops. They're murdering the you know 24 million chickens. That's Schroeder. Yeah, I was yeah. coming in there. I, I figured sooner or later he'd have something to say. Yeah. He's very very educated about all this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but when you know what's coming, I think that what people need to do more research on is um, that that COVID was act one, okay? Mm. Act two, if you wanna see what, what is coming next, all these people, we talk about people like Bill Gates, who I think is a reptile, Michael Bloomberg, yeah. all these elite people, um, start watching some of the videos from the World Economic Forum, oh. uh, not before bed, and definitely <laughs> don't wanna watch these before bedtime. Um, this Noah Harari, who they, who they hold dear, 
Yeah. Another little reptile who talks about, you know, people and the Nazis wanted this technology and the KGB and they didn't have it, but we have it. We can control humans and the surveillance state. And is he the, the bioethicist guy? Sorry to interrupt. Oh, I, I, he, there's quote, nothing quote. ethicist that I would ever exactly. put in a description. He's a reptile. He's yeah. a reptile. And if you watch, they all think he's darling when he's talking <laughs> about, you know, surveillance used to be, yeah. we follow you on your phone and we want to know what movie you go to and this kind of thing. But now we're going to put the surveillance under the skin. We want to know what your temperature is and we want to know what if you have COVID and COVID's a great opportunity to to uh, go to the surveillance state. That's what these people want to do. Um, you know, Klaus Schwab wrote a book called The Great Reset. And in that book, mm-hmm. you can read this. It, it's this is what he says. And these people, trust in Trudeau thinks he's swell. I mean, a lot of world yeah. leaders have trained with him, right? He says the planet has too many people. Bill Gates also says this, all right? What he wants is a planet with a billion people or less, and he hopes that most of them are Asians because they follow directions better. That's what his goal is, all right? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Now, whether or not they're going to accomplish that and that sort of thing is, is yet to be determined, but I don't think there's anything darker than that. And what's really scary about it is if you take a look at the people who are in powerful positions in governments around the world, there are people he trained. Yeah. Okay. Um, and Macron, uh, Angela Merkel, the head of the European Union, Justin Trudeau. The New Justin Zealand, Trudeau, the yeah. real, real hero of the cause, said that he was asked what government he admired most. He said the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah. And then he went on to say there's something about communism because you can do all kinds of things you need to do without having to worry about this silly election and approval stuff and getting yeah. anybody to agree with it. These are creepy, crawly, terrible humans who have no regard for human life or yeah. freedom or choice. And uh, they they visualize a world that I don't think we want to live in. Yeah. Yeah. And Schroeder, Schroeder does not want to live in. No. He's <laughs> voicing his, his objection. I told you, I told you yeah. he was loud, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love him. Yeah. Yeah. This is something we debated on this podcast a lot with very intelligent guests who are definitely not blue pilled, so to speak, but they, we fall on different lines on this and, Definitely the official stance of, of this podcast is uh, that those guys, World Economic Forum, they do have power, they are scary, and they are they are evil. <laughs> they are not to be trusted. And, you know, the general line is that they're kind of, the, the skeptics would say that they're LARPing or that it's just a boys club. They're just kind of playing around, smoking cigars. And when you see... Like you know, that all the all the leaders saying the exact same thing, the same lines. It, they're being handed to them. You know, they're they're yeah, they're they're being slipped these lines and stuff. So, I 100% agree. Um, I guess one one more thing. So Serena and I did a whole podcast on this. Kind of, we were talking about you know the veganism and plant based is just so associated now with the Gates thing, with the, you know, with, with the neoliberal regime, with, you know, with, with, with giving up choice with, you know, with your for, being forced to eat bugs, like the Klaus Schwab line, you know, that whole thing. Now we're all plant-based. And what would you say, Pam, to the more dissident crowd, maybe the more conservative right-wing crowd that, is completely allergic to that, understandably, as as am I and as we all are. Um, and they just say, like, F it, I'm gonna go eat um, you know, as much beef as I can. And and I, I fully understand that. And again, I am I'm with you 100 percent on the 
you know, the, the libertarian value of not forcing people what to eat, A, it's because it doesn't work and B, because it's wrong, you know, but, but your whole thing is increasing people's health and doing the plant-based thing. How do you, how do you get that message across? Do you even want to get that message across? Has COVID kind of changed your mind on, on changing people's minds? You know, like how, how do you address, address that? Graph? Well, when, when I noticed a few years ago, the vegan crowd going down a bad path, Mm-hmm. because of the, the, this didn't happen like i didn't just show up at the truth about health conference one one weekend sure. and we went from last year everybody's making sense to this year you got to eat two pounds of, bre- of vegetables for breakfast and 12 vegetables for lunch and intermittent mm-hmm. fast it, it was degenerating okay yeah. and i saw this more and more so we did a little bit of a right turn in my company and we started talking about informed medical decision making okay so so one of the things, and, and I've been very focused because of my consumer products background, I've been focused on well, how do you get people to want to do this and how do you get them to continue to do it, right? So so I've said before, I have some clients that would make some people in the plant-based community apoplectic, a heart attack patient who's not vegan, <laughs> who lost 66 pounds and continues to uh, take a, a, a low dose of one medication, hasn't had any more heart attacks and no more stents in the whole nine yards. I'll, I'll, that guy eating animal food two times a week, but not having any more events and sticking with it, that, that if everybody did that, by the way, we wouldn't have problems with, with uh, climate change and all that related to farming. There would, there there would be no demand for a factory farm in the United States if we could get 350 million people to go there. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so we started focusing on informed decision-making, like come to us, and let us help you figure out how you got your health in trouble, right? What, what causes high blood pressure? What made you have the heart attack? Why do you have type 2 diabetes? Why do you have multiple sclerosis? And then for people who don't want, who would like to live longer and live better, the, the choices become really clear. I'm going to have to change what I eat. I'm going to have to change. I'm going to have to exercise. I'm going to have to lose weight. I'm going to have to start uh-huh. drinking water. I'm going to have to, you know, but, but the choice comes from within. I'm choosing to do this because I have, I, I want a goal that I'm, I'm seeking a goal that this will facilitate my reaching. Right. And, um, and I think that's the way we're going to have to reach people. I think it's going to be very difficult to identify with that crowd and get anywhere because they've poisoned the well so much, uh-huh. but I don't think it has to matter in the end. I think we just have to talk to people differently. I think that there are still people out there who care about animals deeply. And I think that the way that animals are treated, particularly if they go into all this, the, the, the kill, I don't know anybody who thinks killing 24 million chickens is a good idea. And I don't know anybody who thinks killing deer because they test positive for COVID-19 is a good idea and, and all this kind of stuff. So I think that I think that may actually help a little bit in terms of getting people to listen to how we should be ethically treating animals and, and that sort of thing. I think we will not run out of people to talk to about their health status because we live in a country of sick people. And if we approach it that way and backdoor diet change, which we've been doing for a number of years anyway, I think we'll continue to get people who want to eat better. And that eating better means you don't eat so much animal food. Yeah. And like I said, I, you know, if we can't, if we can't right now sell veganism to the general population, and I don't think we can, if we can get a significant number of people, I think the tipping point is half the country getting down to a couple servings of animal food of some sort, organic, wild caught, no dairy. And, and you could you could dry up the demand such that there would be no factory farms left. And that would be a monumental achievement. It wouldn't be what the extreme want, but but it would be monumental achievement. 
if we could get there. And I think we can. I think it would also trigger a wave of, because, you know, a lot of people, like you were saying, you, you, you give up more meat and then you realize, oh, I haven't had it for a week. And, you know, and you, you kind of just forget about it and then you lose the taste for it. And yeah, I think that's pretty realistic. And also I would just say, you know, there's nothing really, (laughs) there's nothing really red pill about eating factory farm animal products. You know, there's nothing, you know, these guys, they're, they're so hip to like everything with the world economic forum and all this stuff. But, you know, you see just all the pigs hanging up on a line being slaughtered and stuff. And there's that, you know, and come on, you know, I, I, yeah, go ahead. But but the the whole business, this red pill thing, you know, uh, where a lot of this comes from is the backlash of saying we're going to eliminate meat in the schools. Yeah. Yeah. Children can have meat in the schools. Now, listen, I want children to eat better in the schools. Mm -hmm. But but what you're basically saying, it's no different than the people who are saying, I don't want my children learning about sex in kindergarten, yeah. okay? The, the parents should be making these choices, not the school and not the teachers and the whole nine yards. Parents yeah. should be making decisions about what their children are going to eat. Mm-hmm. And so when, 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 you, when you go in with this militant attitude, everybody was all excited when this idiot, Eric Adams, and he is an idiot, yeah. got elected to mayor of New York. I mean, people are missing de Blasio big time right now, and nobody thought that was possible. There's only probably one person to be mayor that would make New Yorkers miss de Blasio, right? Why yeah. did they think that he was so great? He's a moron, but he was going to make everybody in New York be vegan. Okay, <laughs> yeah. well, he's a moron. That's problem number one. And you can't make everybody in New York be vegan. And you can't legislate the, what, what's going to be served. You know, this, this whole business of we know better, this elitist attitude, I think we've got to, we, I don't think you guys have it, but, but we've got to stay away from people who do have it. I'm so smart and I'm so rich and I know what's best for everybody. That's what everybody hates about Bill Gates. Well, you can do that without his wealth in other areas. I'm so, I'm educated. I know what's best for everybody. I'm going to tell you what's best for everybody and I'm going to make you do it by gosh. Yeah. And if we can't sell you on the idea because selling ideas to people is what America is made of. I got to, I've got to, I've got to make this attractive to you. Mm-hmm. Being militant doesn't make anything attractive to anybody. It just makes them push back, Right. So my, my prediction is that Eric Adams will do more to promote meat eating in New York <laughs> than any agricultural organization can do just because of blowback. Backlash, yeah. Right? He's, not, he's not an icon for anything other than stupidity, masking two-year-olds and firing city employees who don't like it. And, then, and, and that goes to another problem we mm-hmm. have, too is say you're vegan and whatever kind of moron you are, the community elevates you to some kind of stature instead of saying, look, we want smart vegans out there representing this who aren't doing these kinds of things, right? You complete, if, if you're, if you're going to talk about health, masking two-year-olds and firing their parents for getting mad about it if they work for the city is really not a great advertisement for your yeah. uh, compassion and, and desire to health up the New York City residents, right? Yeah, then the average person thinks veganism is as good as an idea as masking a two-year-old you know and it's kind of they put that all together it's just terrible it's terrible for what we're trying to do there's just nothing worse than that you know and this 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 is one of the the leftist values i detest is using school public schools as some kind of battleground for uh you know for change and and removing the the parental influence in it that's something i i was never I, I hadn't changed into that position, but now I'm firmly on that side of exactly what you said that, you know, it, it's, it's gotta be the parents. 
thing. You know, you can't, especially with the new wave of, of people becoming teachers that are educated in the, in this, into this system that we we've, we've laid out is very, very corrupt and very backwards and very, very strange. Well, we've, we've got, yeah. we've got to get back to when I was a kid and make it sound like I'm 150 years old, but when I was a kid, <laughs> you went to school for six hours a day and you didn't do homework till midnight and there weren't school activities till seven o'clock. You had family dinner and the summers were off and you spent a lot of time with your grandparents. And, and so everything revolved around the family and the school's job was to accommodate family. Yeah. Okay. And and now if they had scheduled some kind of soccer practice on Mother's Day, my my parents would have had been apoplectic. Mother's <laughs> Day, you spend with your mother and your grandma. You don't spend it at flipping school playing soccer. Yeah. Okay. But, but this was, I think, part of this is a, a more of a political issue, but it was part of just when you destroy the family, that's what communist countries do. They destroy the fabric of the family. And um, and we have to get that back. And so the parents are taking it back. I mean, the parent the parents are apoplectic, and they pulled their kids out of school. There, the the schools have done more to push parents out of the school. All right, and all their budgets are based on how many children they have sitting in the classroom. So they decimated their budgets. The COVID relief money is gone. And the covers, the one of the cover stories in our local newspaper was a syndicated story that's basically saying these school systems are in deep trouble. They're having to lay off teachers, close buildings, shut down classrooms because there's nobody there. Mm-hmm. So that is not a great step forward. Well, it's a great step forward in parents taking control of their children, which is the way it should be. But the, the system is going to collapse because you know it, it's just going to, to to decimate itself with with all this nonsense. Yeah. Serena, what do you think about that? Because you you have some teaching experience and a teaching background. And I always enjoyed hearing you t- tell anecdotes and you don't have to repeat them here if you don't want to about, you know, you, I think you danced very well around because you had obviously a bunch of very curious kids asking you about life, about diet, about political stuff. And I, I think you played it pretty well, but what do you think about all the, the political aspect of teaching and, and that role and everything? Um, I, well, I probably, um, see things a, a little bit differently. It's probably too much to get into on here. <laughs> no worries. Yeah. Um, I, I think I still lean a bit more. I, I don't know what I officially identify as independent, um, mm. but I feel like I still share a lot more of like leftist values. I just don't like yeah. the current Flavor left of it. and whatever. Yeah. And there's a bunch of stuff that um, I'm similar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, totally. but I, I like, I, I definitely lean more that direction. Um, but in terms of like school, so I homeschooled growing up more or less, um, homeschooled, did Montessori school. I tried a whole bunch of stuff and also yeah. did some public school. So I have that. And then I taught, um, in some public schools briefly before teaching science at a private Catholic school. Yeah. And, um, I got a lot of questions. The students all knew I was vegan and asked me about that a lot. <laughs> and they all, it was definitely, I was that teacher that they knew if they could get me talking about that topic, we wouldn't <laughs> do chemistry. <laughs> um, so they, they, they would yeah. intentionally try to get me off topic and I would happily go with it because I enjoyed talking about <laughs> the topic. Um, but coming from my perspective of homeschooling and kind of where I came from in that too, I've been critical of the school system for a long time, but, but from very different reasons, I feel like than a lot of people are in that I view the entire system as 
propaganda, <laughs> um, yeah. more or less, like even, even just from a vegan perspective, when you look at the nutrition information that is taught in the schools, when you look at the, you know, biology, you know, textbooks that are funded sometimes, you know, environmental textbooks that have funding from the, um, you know, nuclear industry, or like, I think so much of the everything is incredibly biased towards Mm -hmm. corporate moneyed interests is the way I'd put it. That is, you know, um, like, I feel like, and I think the school system probably even going way back is not, it's never been about teaching critical thinking. It's never been about really empowering students. It has been about teaching students how to fulfill certain roles in society, how to be good, compliant, um, you know, workers. Um, so I, I don't like, I don't like all the masking in schools and all that. And I think that's taken a big step, but I don't think it's like, that new, I guess, that people are trying to influence the school curriculums. I feel like Mm -hmm. that has been going on forever, but the things that were being put in school curriculums were just happened to be popular or widely accepted. So no one questioned it or saw it as propaganda. And then when something changes, then it's viewed as propaganda, but I kind of think the whole thing is propaganda. Yeah, Um, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, so well, the, there's. I think there's a, a, a. I. I. I think you're right about school has always. There's always been an element of propaganda to it, but there's propaganda and there's propaganda, and this goes okay. to um, who do these children belong to? They belong to their parents. The parents are responsible for them, and um, and I think part of this is shame on the parents for not paying more attention. But the other thing is when did it become okay? I mean, I'm sure you've seen these videos of of, uh, high school teachers telling undercover to reporters, yeah, we've got a very short period of time to turn these kids into communists and Marxists. (laughs) Okay, when when did it become okay to teach children to be Marxists? What we used to teach children how to do, we had a debate club when I was in college or in uh, high school. And the debate club is where you would learn how to debate, again, ideas. You have to learn how to relate your ideas to people, not through mm-hmm. militant, this is the way you're going to think. You had to defend your ideas, and you learned how to be articulate about it. Now, the whole idea wasn't that somebody won, like we convinced everybody of this idea. It was that you were capable of having a discussion about it. So we went to the place. That's not propaganda, all right? It is propaganda when a high school student or a high school teacher says, I have a limited amount of time to turn these children into Marxists. So I'm teaching them to look up Antifa and go to their riots downtown. Mm-hmm. You're the parent of a high school student that you, you are now ready to burn down the school building. You don't want your children hanging around with people from Antifa. All right. And the high school has no business bringing that kind of thing into the classroom. So it has gone... It's gone from there's always been an element of propaganda. There has, but 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 there is a limited effect that it could have when the parents spent when the kids spent most of their time not in school. But as the school crept into taking over children's lives, and let me tell you what that looks like from a healthcare perspective. All right. There must be a thousand studies showing that children in high school should start school at nine or ten o'clock in the morning, but that's not what happens. We get this kid out of bed at the middle of the night at 5.30 in the morning to get on a bus at 6.15. 
some of the kids in the families we work with are sleeping on the floor for 15 minutes before <laughs> homeroom starts because they're so tired. Mm -hmm. They cannot put sentences together. They don't eat breakfast because they're not hungry in the middle of the night. You, you get awakened in the middle of your sleeping night to see if you feel like eating. Yeah. They trudge through the day and then they have after school activities and after after school activities and they come home and eat dinner and they do homework until midnight. And then they get up again at 5.15 in the morning and start that whole thing again. They're exhausted. They're brain dead and they're spending almost all their time away from their families. All yeah. right. So, so now you can real now that now a little bit of propaganda goes a whole lot longer way. And, and that's, yeah. that is just not acceptable. So the parents never should have let it happen. Mm -hmm. But having said that education no longer represents what the parents want. And if I had my way, I would dismantle the United, the, the federal board of uh, department of education, dismantle it all. Yep. send all that money back down to the local schools because this is what, the way it was when I was in school and the local community decided what went on in the schools. Mm -hmm. The principal hired the teachers, the principal fired the teachers. And if you had enough complaints about a teacher, that teacher didn't work there anymore. All right. Yep. Now you can't fire them to save your life, no matter what they do, including teaching <laughs> children about masturbation in kindergarten and teaching them how to be marked. You can't fire them. There's a building in lower Manhattan, four stories where you, where they put them for years when they're proven to be sexual predators, mm -hmm. they put them in a building in lower Manhattan for four five, six, seven years. That's how long it takes to get rid of them. And, and we pay, I pay taxes to the city of Worthington where I live, the state of Ohio and federal and all this money gets paid up there. And then the government turns around and they give money to the state of Ohio for education and the city of Worthington. We, we've lost half the money I paid just circulating it up and back down again. <laughs> and nobody in the city of Worthington controls what goes on in these schools, whether you have kids there or not. This is insane. Yeah. Okay? It's just insane. It's a scheme that is fraught with problems because there's no accountability and you can't do anything about it except pull your kid out of school. And the parents are speaking, the, the actions speak louder than words. And, um, Yep. The biggest homeschool population in the history of homeschooling happened when parents got a chance to see what these kids were doing at home and it wasn't very pretty. Yeah. Know? Oh, with the zoom. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. You brought up the, <laughs> the Marxist thing. We, I remember Glenn would laugh at this. We had a, we had like one of those teachers in high school when, when, you know, when we were going through high school, uh, that was, you know, like you guys got to be Marxist and everything. And it was funny. It was kind of like a joke for all of us. We were, we uh we all just kind of made fun of her she was like sweet nice and everything but very ideologically bent you know in that direction and now from what i hear it's just yeah it's definitely a lot it's more like 25 50 percent of everyone is is well, propagating that and, and, the, admit, and the idea least, isn't it's the idea isn't to be the thought police and say you shouldn't talk about it but but yeah. where where this happens is okay you're, let's go back to let's have a discussion in social studies or history or whatever it is. Exactly. Let's look at let's first of all look at the accurate history of Marxism. Mm -hmm. It's never succeeded on the planet. Mm -hmm. No, it, it always collapses. Okay. Yeah. So so nobody's gonna great point to a great civilization that was Marxist and say that's the model, right? Yeah. That's the first thing. You have to teach history accurately, and we're making up yeah. a new version of history. And even tearing down the statues of Robert E. Lee, I don't know if, if people don't read history, so they don't realize that after the South lost the war, Robert E. Lee went to work for Lincoln, getting his people on board for reuniting the country. 
So when you take down the statue of Robert E. Lee, you're denying, first of all, that he was a major part of history. The second thing is he ended up being one of the good guys in the end. So the level of ignorance it takes to take down that statue is just almost beyond comprehension that people can be that uneducated in the United States. But the point is you teach history accurately and then you say, listen, if you have differences of opinion, that is great. That's, so we're gonna debate those ideas. You have to defend yeah. your ideas. You teach children and adolescents how to talk about this stuff with each other. Mm -hmm. And that's how they learn to defend their ideas, to sell their ideas to other people. They learn sometimes their ideas aren't as good as they thought they were when they start defending, you know? So, yeah. so this, this is not about being the thought police as much as it is teaching, the, teaching everything in proper context and then recognizing your limitations. You don't own these kids. You're not, they're not there to be programmed by some ideology. They're there to learn mm -hmm. and to be critical thinkers. We're not doing that anymore. Yeah, and the best teacher, the teachers that, all the teachers that I've forgotten about, that I don't care about, that I feel I didn't learn anything, were the ones telling me what to think. And all the mm -hmm. best teachers, like one of the best teachers I had senior year, it was ironic because I actually, I, I was one of those kids that took all AP classes, you know, in, in high school. And then I took AP history senior year, and I, I hated it. I don't know why, I think it was like the teacher or something, and I, I, I was already you know, I was already senior and I already, you know, done the whole college application thing. I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, it was actually one of our high school coaches that taught the regular history. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm going to get out of this AP and just go to the regular history class. And, uh, one of the best decisions I ever made, because he would make us debate stuff every single day and you never knew what he thought, you know, you never, he, he would never, he would always give both sides you know, and you were always trying to guess what this guy was thinking, right? And he was very stone-faced about it. And it was, it was first of all, it was fun. You know, it was way more fun that way. And it was, yeah, I'll never forget it, you know? And I, I think a lot of people have similar stories. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd be interested to hear, hear about that. But um, well, and, and, and at the colleges, when did we start? I wrote about this in my book. You know, ha we have to have safe house, safe rooms uh, so you can yeah. go eat M&Ms and play with dolls in case somebody comes on campus that you don't like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it... it Again, what, how, how are people going to live in a society? This is what we wonder why everybody's so polarized in the whole nine yards. Our most elite institutions are teaching people. There's one point of view. Yeah. We're going to teach you what it is. And if anybody says anything contrary to it, they're bad. Stay away from them. Violence is okay if it's needed to make sure that they don't come into your realm. And if all else fails, mm -hmm. we have this room over here where you can play with dolls and eat M&Ms. Well, I've got news for people. It's very difficult to succeed in life because, you know, it, it, it's like when sometimes when uh, some of my my client families, you know, we talk about breastfeeding and uh, you know, and, and they say it's very inconvenient. I tell people it's one of the wonderful things about being the age I am. I said, listen, if you are interested in convenience, you signed up for the wrong program because what being a parent is all about is 18 plus years of inconvenience. Okay, so, so, so we might as well just get this little kiddo started out right yeah. with the level of it. You know, that's going to be inconvenient and all the rest of it is too. Now it's the time of your life and it's a yeah. wonderful thing and, and all that kind of stuff, but, but convenience is not it. So, so we're not teaching people to be um, tough, you know, to, to, to okay. be, uh, was I don't know what word I'm looking for. Sturdy and hardy and um, uh, resilient. And, and, yeah, and, and resilient. That's the, that's a great term for it. You, mm -hmm. If you if you don't have resilience in life, it's a very very uh, sorry way to go through life, and you yeah. miss most of what life has to offer. I think. Yeah, and I, I took I went to school for two years and then left for 
I think like four, you know, and then I went back and it was all, this is during the 2010s and just the shift in the, you know, culturally in those four years mm-hmm. was, I, I couldn't even recognize it. And that's something Serena and I've talked about too, because we met uh, during that time, I think in, in a college town like that, you know, when we were both living and it was just, yeah, it was, it was weird because I, I was at that point, I was still very, you know, very like, like, let's say like politically ideologically aligned with like the, the students and the mm-hmm. faculty and the staff of that time. But I remember thinking, I was like, you know, like we can't give up debate, you guys, and we got to be able to talk about this stuff and mm-hmm. we got to be able to, and, you know, I'll just hear this, like, this, no, this harsh, you know, you know, we have to protect this and that and everything and keep it all separate. And I was like, this isn't going to end the way you guys think it is. And that, that was the start of the the shift for me yeah. where I was just like, yeah, I'm, I don't, I can't get down to this. And I don't know if you feel mm-hmm. the same Serena. Yeah. Well, it was college for me is when I became like a staunch free speech advocate, which was something mm-hmm. I didn't know a whole lot about before. Um, and it was actually through my vegan and animal rights activism on campus that I felt that way because I was on a super progressive liberal campus that had a lot of, you know, social justice and activism and and political correctness going on. Um, But I had issues where I would try and bring speakers to talk about animal rights, which I thought was this progressive social justice, you know, thing. And they would like I had one situation where they basically the student government, like other students, refused me funding because the term animal slavery was on a speaker's website. And I was like, you know, they're coming here to speak about animal rights. Like that is what their topic is. And they were like, well, you know, your speaker's not going to be allowed to use this term on campus because it's triggering and offensive. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and that was where I realized that the problem of censoring speech and different ideas is then you're putting someone, a flawed human or flawed group of humans in charge of deciding what is and is not true and what is and is not offensive. And from my perspective, believing I'm this liberal progressive vegan, I think it's offensive that I have to like stare at dead bodies in the cafeteria. Why can't Mm -hmm. I get that banned? You know, (laughs) um, and obviously I didn't, that wasn't realistic and that isn't what I was trying to do. I just wanted yeah. to bring a speaker to campus to present their ideas. And that was seen as like somehow now I'm the oppressive one promoting an oppressive ideology. And that was, it was just a real like mind bending, yeah. like what, like this is backwards. Like this is, this doesn't make any sense. And then I read this book um, called, I don't remember what it's called, but it's um the, if you're familiar with the organization fire, it's the, uh, like, um, it's basically like the ACLU, but for college campuses about like free speech and freedom. And the president of that wrote this book. Um, and it was incredibly compelling to me. And it was a a, a book about like censorship on college campuses written in 2010, I think. So like so much more was already happening since then when I read that book and and since then, but, um, that really made me see that like I and this is how I feel now like I think it is the most unprogressive and unliberal thing to be for censorship that is oh yeah that is it just doesn't make any sense because regardless of what reason good reason you think you're allowing censorship or certain ideas to not be taught or available 
the reality is that's what people throughout history have always thought when we censored, you know, like cuss words, when we censored, like whatever it was, like people believed they were saving your soul by banning that or, you know, um, and that may or may not be true. But then the reality is you're putting people in charge of deciding what can and cannot be said. And usually whoever's in charge, whether that's a college institute, you know, college government or an actual state or federal government, what are they going to ban? They don't actually care about those, you know, your supposed issues or what helps people. They're going to ban the things that make them look bad. They're going to ban the things that harm their profits. They're going to, you know, and it's going to end up hurting the progressive minority groups like the vegan activists or, you know, um, so yeah, I can say a lot about that and my experience in college. Um, but I definitely, that we definitely agree on that in that, uh, debate and, and having open discourse, um, when people disagree is extremely yeah. important. Well, That's sooner some- or later, the tables will turn. That's the other thing yeah. that people don't think through. It's fun to be the, some of these people think it's fun to be the censor, but they don't yeah. realize that if you promote that behavior sooner or later, somebody's going to censor you and you aren't going to like it. And so you, you, you end up in, uh, and I think that's kind of happening now. I want to thank the two of you for, for having this kind of discussion. It's very seldom that, uh, that people are interested in doing this in an open forum like this. So oh, God. Uh, thank you for inviting me. This was very scintillating and I would this love was... to do it again. Absolutely. In fact, I hope you come back for the uh, sole purpose of meeting Glenn, my co-host, because I know that's going to be absolutely electric. Yeah, he's going to love this. I swear to God. Let's let's plan to do it again as soon as possible. Thank you guys so much. Thank you both. Now, really quickly, where can we find your work, Pam, and your website? My web, I have two websites I'll send people to wellnessforumhealth.com and makeamericansfreeagain.com. My email address is pampopper at msn.com. I really do read and answer my emails. So feel free to send me an mm-hmm. email and I put out a lot of free information. So if you want the free stuff, send me an email, we'll sign you up. Thank you so right. much. And Serena, everyone's mostly familiar with you, but, uh, bornvegan.org. You? Mm-hmm. Um, you can find me there, YouTube, Instagram. And fantastic podcast. Science is great. Yes, yes. Yes. Yeah. Check it out. Definitely. Thank you guys so much. Thank Appreciate you. It. Have a great night. Bye. Yeah.